You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now this morning, uh, we're, we're actually going to cover two chapters. We're going to cover chapter 7 and chapter 8 in a message that I've titled, Sometimes God Says No. Sometimes God Says No. <laughs> but before we jump into these chapters, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for your grace, we thank you for ministry, and we thank you for your word. And that your word reminds us that you are a God who speaks to his people, that, that you hear our prayers. We're not just praying to, to, to an empty room, uh, but, but you're a God who hears us when we cry to you. You hear us when we pour out our hearts to you. But Lord, you're a God who, who answers according to your will, not our will. So Lord, we we surrender our hearts to you this morning. We surrender the needs in our hearts this morning, the anxieties that are in our hearts this morning, the the questions, the struggles, the the dilemmas, all of it that's in us this morning, we surrender to you and we seek your counsel. We seek your wisdom. We seek your leading, but we pray not my will be done, but thy will be done. Help us to hear not what we want to hear, but what you have for us to hear. We pray this now in Jesus' name and everyone say it. Amen. There's a line in an old hymn that says, what he takes or what he gives us shows the Father's love so precious. But now listen, it's, it's easy uh, for us to sing how precious his love is when he's giving to us, but it's not so easy to sing how precious when he's not giving. Or for that matter, when he just flat out says no. But listen, sometimes the most loving thing that God can do for us is to not give us the desire of our heart. Uh, to, to not give us what we think is the best for us. You know, and so maybe, maybe you're here and, and, and maybe you're single, maybe you're dating someone. You know, maybe you're convinced that, that this is the one. They're perfect for you. Or then again, maybe you're, you're applying for a certain job and you're convinced that this is the perfect job for you. In fact, you're convinced it's the call on your life. And so in those times, sometimes it can be so disappointing when God in those moments says No. Well, that is exactly where David finds himself this morning in these two chapters, chapter 7 and 8. So now as we pick it up in the first 17 verses of chapter 7, we we see that this is when God says no to David. When God says no. Verse verse 1 it says, Now when the king lived in his house, the Lord had given him uh, rest from all his surrounding enemies. And the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Let's pause here for a moment. Now as we read this, let's keep in mind the context. Remember, last week in chapter 6, we saw that, that David had just brought the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem, really making Jerusalem the center of worship for the nation of Israel. But, 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 but now this morning we see that, that he's bothered that he himself lives in this big, beautiful house, a, a house that's fit for a king. But meanwhile, God, the king of kings, still dwells in a tent. And so now the desire of David's heart this morning is to, is to build a house for God. And, and frankly, the desire of his heart was, was good. In fact, even God himself said that his desire of his heart was good. In fact, it says in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, it says, Now it was in the heart of my father, Solomon is saying this, Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, 
because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. And so David's heart was right. The desire of his heart was right. But we're going to see in just a moment that as, as good as the desire of his heart was, nevertheless, God said no. God says no. We see that now as we pick it up in verse 4, all the way down to verse 17, verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell uh, my, my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelled in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I, I, I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all the places that I've moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not build, built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And, and, and I have been with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you, you a great name, like the names of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they will dwell in their own place, and, and, and be disturbed no more. And, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed the judges of, of my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And, and, and when your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers, and I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom." He will build a house for my name, and, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever." And in accordance with all these words, and in accordance with, with all the vision, Nathan spoke to David. So now we put this all together, and we see that, that first of all, David turns to his, to his close friend and his close confidant, the, 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 the prophet Nathan, and he shares with Nathan, Nathan the, the, the desire of his heart, that, that hopefully one day he, he could build a house for the Lord. Nathan, of course, hears this, and he says, you know what? Go and do as, as your heart desires. You know, this, this sounds like God. Go for it. Now, listen, on the one hand, David is just doing what, what, frankly, all of us should be doing when we're trying to figure out God's will for our life. You know, maybe, maybe you have a, a, a dream in your heart, a, 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 a vision, you know, to, to do something with your life, and you're, and you're trying to discern. You're trying to figure out if that dream, if that desire, if that vision is from the Lord or if it's just from bad pizza. So you're trying to figure out which one it is. And I think one of the things we should do in those moments is, is we should go to those that we respect, those who, who we know know the Lord, and we know that they know God's word, they, they know him, they know his word, and we should get their counsel, we should get their guidance, we should get their advice. I mean, after all, Proverbs 50, 15 verse 22 says, plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. So we should go and get their counsel, we should get their advice. 
You know, I mean, maybe, maybe uh, the, the door's opening for you to take a job, but maybe it's a job that, that's going to require you to, to move your family halfway across the country. Or then again, maybe, maybe you've got the opportunity to, to get in on a, 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 on a startup at the ground floor, the ground level, and be a part of this big thing. Or maybe you, you, you've got the opportunity to, to join a group and, and, and with this group go and plant a church somewhere. And so you're trying to discern, you're trying to determine whether or not God is the one who's actually opening this door or not. And oftentimes, uh, when, when I talk to people in those moments, one of the things I advise is, is to make sure they go and get the counsel of a trustworthy source. Someone they trust. That's what David is doing. He goes to Nathan. Now, in this case, Nathan, as he's listening to David, he, he doesn't hear you know, anything ungodly about David's plan. As he's listening to David, he doesn't hear you know, anything selfish about David's motives, or for that matter, he doesn't hear anything about David's plan that contradicts God's word. So Nathan hears it, and he's like, you know what? It sounds like a good plan to me. In fact, you know what? It sounds like God. Go for it. I think, I think God would bless it. And chances are, we've all had friends that gave us the same sort of advice, that give us that green light, and you know, kinda, they kind of, you know, hey, it sounds like it could be God. But now in this particular case, later that night, God speaks to Nathan, maybe in a dream, maybe in a vision, but he speaks to Nathan and, and he tells Nathan, hey, I want you to go back to David and say, hey, David, I'm sorry, but, but you know what? I missed it. I was wrong. You know, I, I thought that the, the, this plan was from the Lord, but, but you, you know, as it turns out, you, you, uh, although your plan was a good plan, it wasn't God's plan, at least not for you. It is God's plan for someone else, it is God's plan for your son, but it's not God's plan for you. In fact, in a different passage, 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, we read these words. It says, But it happened that night when the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. So ultimately, this reminds us of a few things. Number one, it reminds us that sometimes that dream in our heart, sometimes that vision, sometimes that desire of our heart, uh, sometimes it may be the Lord, and sometimes it may not be the Lord. So we have to discern which one it is. It might be from God, it might not be from God, so we have the responsibility of trying to discern which one it is. Number two, the second thing it reminds us is that just because it's a good plan doesn't mean that it's God's plan, at least for you. And then number three, it reminds us that sometimes even, even the, the well-meaning, uh, God-fearing people in our lives, friends of ours that, that we know, they, they, they know the Lord, they hear from the Lord, they know God's word. And, and we trust them. We, we trust their wisdom. We trust their counsel. But yet, as much as we trust them, we have to keep in mind, they're not always right. So we cannot take their word as the gospel. Because even in this particular case, Nathan, a prophet of God who actually heard the literal voice of God, even he was wrong. And so we have to test all things. And so... David has this desire. He has this vision. He has this plan, this hope. And God says no. And now as we pick it up in verses 18 down to the end of the chapter, we see that, that God says no to David's plan, but then God reveals his own plan. Verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, 
Who am I, O Lord? And, and, and what is my house that, that, that you have brought me thus far? And yet it was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You, you have spoken also to your servant's house uh, for, for a great while to come. And, and this instruction is for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this, this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there's none like you and there's none, but no God besides you, according to all that, that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth of whom God sent to redeem to be his people, making himself a, a name, doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed your people, uh, I'm sorry, sorry, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord God, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you've spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. By the way, sometimes it's a good thing to pray the Lord's word. He's just praying back what God had spoken to him. His prayer is God's word. And sometimes when you don't know what to pray, you pray back God's word. He's praying what he heard God tell him. And so he says, he says and confirm what you have spoken. Verse 26. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before your eyes. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and, and your words are true. You have promised this good thing to your servant. And now, therefore, may it please you to bless uh, the house of your servant, so that it may come, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken with, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Now listen, we, we, we put this together. David has a, a desire, he has a passion, he has a vision, and he hears the word no. Now listen, as hard as it is to hear God tell you no to the dream of your life, to tell you no to the vision of your life, to, as hard as it is to hear no to, to the desire of your heart, you know what? It can be even harder for you to hear God tell you that he's going to let someone else live your dream. He's going to let someone else carry out your plan. Someone else get to carry out your vision instead of you. And in this particular case, it's not just someone else. It was his own son, Solomon. Listen, we might have expected that, that David might have responded by, by being upset or that David might respond by, 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 by being jealous. But, but in this passage, we see that David doesn't throw a tantrum. He, he, he doesn't pout. No, instead in verse 18, it just says that, that King David went in and sat before the Lord. He sat before the Lord, or as Charles Spurgeon put it, having been told no, David found it in his heart not to murmur, but to pray. His response was to pray. In fact, as he prays, he's, 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 he's grateful. He is thankful. He's pouring out all this gratitude. And so God tells uh, David, he says, listen, David, you're not going to build me a house. In fact, if anything, I'm going to build you a house. In fact, I'm going to establish your kingdom. I'm going to establish your throne. From here on out, there's always going to be somebody from your line, your family tree, sitting on your throne. That's what he says in verse 16 when he says, your throne will be established forever. 
Now notice that line at the end of verse 16. Your throne will be established forever. This was a prophecy. In fact, this really is what theologians would call the principle of dual fulfillment. The principle of dual fulfillment, meaning this is one prophecy with two fulfillments. Now, on the one hand, this was, this was partially fulfilled by Solomon because Solomon uh, is, is the one who gets to build the temple. And then also Solomon's the one who, who sits on the throne of David. And so on the one hand, it was partially fulfilled by Solomon, but then ultimately this prophecy is fulfilled by Jesus. In fact, speaking of Jesus, Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, write that down. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, speaking of Jesus, it says, And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And so ultimately, this was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus sits on the throne of David, and when he does, his kingdom is everlasting. It's a kingdom that will never end. And so he sits on the throne, but then ultimately, Jesus also will build a house. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. That's Hebrews chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. It says, For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was was, was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying what would would be said in the future. But Christ is is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. He's building a house, and listen, we are that house. We're the church. And so he's, 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 he's on the throne. He's, he's going to reign forever. And we are the house that he's building. Ultimately, it was a prophecy of the Messiah. It was a prophecy of Jesus. So now put yourself in, in David's royal toga for just a moment. I mean, he, he's hearing this and he, and he can't believe what he's hearing. He's, he's hearing that, that, that his throne is going to be established forever. Not only meaning that he's going to have a son who sits on the throne and then a grandson and then a great-grandson and there's always going to be somebody from his line, but that ultimately the Messiah himself, the Savior himself, will come from his line, from his family tree. And so in response to that, David just can't believe what he's hearing and, and, and his mind's blown. And that's why it says in verse 18 that after he sat before the Lord, he says, Who am I, O Lord God, that, that, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And so ultimately, <coughs> David's like, listen, I mean, I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. I mean, out of all the people you could have chosen to, to make the king, you chose me? And then on top of that, on top of choosing me to be the king, now you're telling me, I mean, listen, I, I, I'm the least qualified. I mean, I was, I was the runt of the litter, the youngest of eight, and you chose me anyway. And on top of that, you're telling me my son's going to sit on the throne after me, and then he's going to build you the house? He's going to build you a temple? And then on top of that, you're telling me that, 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 that there will always be a descendant of mine on the throne? And then on top of all of that, as if that's not enough, you're telling me that the Messiah himself will come from my line, from my family tree? I mean, this is just too much. My mind is blown. And so David hears no to his plan, but then God reveals his own plan. And when David hears God's plan, his mind is blown. He can't believe what he's hearing. And the plan is that God says, I'm going to establish your kingdom. And now as they pick it up in chapter 8, the first 14 verses, we see that's what happens. God establishes David's kingdom. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. 
after this, David defeated the Philistines and, and subdued them. And David took uh, Metheg, uh, Amaha, Omaha, I'm sorry, uh, out of the hand of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured and put to be put to death, one full line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants of David and brought tribute. And David also defeated Hadad Dezer, the son of Rehob, uh, the, the king of Zobah, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadad Dezer, the king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians, and David put garrisons of Aram uh, of Damascus, and, and, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And David took shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadad Dezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And, and from Betah to Berotai, the cities of Hadad Dezer, King David uh, took very much bronze. Then when Toi, the, the king of Hamat, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadazer, uh, Toi uh, sent Joram, the, his, his son, to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadazer and defeated him. For Hadadazer had often been at war with Toi. And Joram brought him articles of silver and of gold and of bronze. And these also King David dedicated to the Lord together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations that he subdued. From Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadad-Dazer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah. And David made a, made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of, the, of Salt. And he put a garrison in Edom, and throughout all of Edom he put garrisons, and the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave uh, <coughs> victory to David wherever he went. <coughs> now that last line there in, in verse 14, we notice that it was repeated earlier in verse 6. Verse 6 and verse 14 it says, And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. It's a way of telling us that God was establishing David's kingdom. Now listen, we know that the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And so we see that David, this man after God's own heart, is now cleaning house, if you would. He's driving out enemy after enemy after enemy. He, he defeats the Philistines. He defeats the Amalekites. He defeats the Moabites. He, he, he wipes out enemy after enemy, reminding us that when you have a heart for God, then you often rid your heart of anything that's not of God. So one by one, he's getting rid of the enemies. He's cleaning house. Now, we won't look at all of the enemies that are listed here, but there's a couple worth noting. First of all, obviously, the Philistines. The Philistines were, were the perpetual enemies of Israel for 125 years. In fact, David's tenure as, as a soldier really began with a conflict with a Philistine, right? A Philistine giant by the name of Goliath. And then throughout his life, David had had numerous personal battles with the Philistines over and over again. And so now, finally, David defeats the Philistines once and for all. That's important to make note of. From this point on, there are no more Philistines. The Philistines are exterminated. The Philistines are extinct. So even to, even to this day, in modern day times, there is no such thing as a Philistine. They have been extinct ever since this time. Now, it's also worth noting that, that in, in, in the year 6 AD, somewhere in there, the Roman a, uh, emperor Hadrian had, had changed the, uh, the name of, uh, of Israel to Palestine. 
And the people there, he started calling Palestinians, which was the name of a, of a deceased group of people that no longer existed at that point. He was mocking Israel, saying, this is no longer your land. I'm going to give it to your arch enemies, the Philistines. It's the Latin word for Philistine. Palestinian is a Latin word for Philistine. He said, you know, I'm going to give it to your arch enemies who don't even exist. It's not your land. It's not anybody's land. It's a make-believe land now because I gave it to a people that have been extinct for centuries called the Palestinians or the Philistines. But from this point on, there's no such people group of, of, of the actual Philistines. They were extinct at this point. So now he defeats the Philistines. And then, and then after that, there's this group and that group. But most interesting, he, he defeats Moab. Now that's interesting because the last we knew, David was on good terms with, 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 with the Moabites, right? You may remember back in, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, David's fleeing from Saul. He, he fears for, for his parents' safety. So he, he, he goes and, and takes his parents to Moab and he asks the king of Moab uh, to protect his parents and the king agrees. And now all of a sudden, David is attacking Moab. And we wonder why. Well, now there's a legend. Now we don't know how true the legend is, but there's a legend that says that the Moabites had brutally murdered and slaughtered David's parents. And that because of that, perhaps this was revenge. But whatever the case, we need to understand that in the Bible, Moab was viewed as God's enemy. In fact, on another occasion, and I've read this before, uh, God said this in, 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 in Psalm chapter 60, verse 8, God said, Moab is my washpot. That word washpot, by the way, it doesn't mean like a little sink or a basin that you'd wash your face in. In fact, it means literally toilet. Don't wash your face in that. And so God's saying, Moab is my toilet. Moab is my wash pot. Now, why did God say that? Why did God feel that way? Well, there were three reasons. Number one, because the Moabites were the descendants of Lot's incestuous relationship with his, with, with his own daughter. That's number one. Number two, because way back in Numbers chapter 25, uh, King Balak hired the prostitutes of Moab to, to, to entice the men of Israel into sin. That's number two. And then number three, because the Moabites worshipped the pagan idol called Chemosh. Now, Chemosh was this iron statue with outstretched arms. And what they would do is they'd place Chemosh in fire, and they would heat him up, and then when his arms were, were burning white hot, they would place their newborn baby infants on those arms and burn them alive. And so because of all of that, God said, Moab is my wash pot. And so one by one, David's driving out the enemies in the land. Now, more than just a list of David's victories, more than just a list of David's conquests, what we see is, is, is this is, is a list showing us that during David's reign, he was expanding the boundaries of Israel. Listen, God said, I'm going to establish your kingdom, and this is how he did it. One by one, he drove out the enemies. And as he drove out the enemies, one by one, the boundaries of Israel were expanding. And they went from some 6,000 square miles all the way to more than 60,000 square miles. The boundaries expanded. And so chapter 8, in a nutshell, is, is giving us a description of how the boundaries expanded during David's reign. God promised, I'm going to establish your kingdom. And chapter 8 illustrates that that's exactly what had happened. God was establishing David's kingdom. And now verse 15 down to the end, we, we, we discover that when God says no to your plan, it just means that he has a better plan. When God says no to your plan, it just means he has a better plan. Verse 15, 
So David resigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Joab, the, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, uh, the son of Ahilub, was, was, was the recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. Sariah was the secretary. Benaiah was uh, the, the son of that guy, jo, uh, whatever, that guy, <laughs> was, was over the Carathites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were priests. And so basically, we kind of have a general description of David's government. It's kind of just telling us who the secretary of defense is going to be, the press secretary, uh, the commanders of his elite bodyguard, if you would, his security detail. But perhaps the most interesting little line there is that last little line at the end of verse 18 that says, and David's sons were priests. Now, we read that, and that should raise some eyebrows. We read that and we're like, oh, no, wait a minute. I thought the Bible made it very, very clear that only the Levites were, were to be priests. In fact, that, for that matter, out of the tribe of Levites, uh, only the sons of Aaron were to be the priests. And you were right. Only the sons of Aaron were to be the priests. So then what's happening here? Why would David make his sons priests? Well, let me just say that, that whatever their role was, whatever the role of his sons were, more than likely they were not the actual priests. Now, I say that, first of all, because verse 17 already told us who the actual priests were. Verse 17 tells us. We'll read it again. It says, it says that, that Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. So they were the actual priests. So now what's going on with David's sons? Well, now, scholars are divided on this. There's all kinds of theories. In fact, here's one. One uh, group of scholars would say, well, they believe that, that, that David's sons were, were sort of like lay priests, or if you would, volunteer assistant priests. You know, kind of like some of you volunteer at the church. You're not really pastors or that kind, but you volunteer. You serve at the church. And so they're saying, well, maybe they were volunteer priests. Now, the reason some scholars believe that is because of a notation in the Jerusalem Bible that says this. It says, David's sons assisted or were deputized in those priestly functions. It's because of that notation in the Jerusalem Bible. There are some who say, well, maybe they were volunteer priests, kind of assistant priests. So that's one theory. But then, if you're reading from the NIV, the New, New International Version, your version reads completely different. Because your version does not say that David's sons were priests. The NIV says David's sons were, 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 were royal advisors. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't even sound like the other translation. I mean, like two, one says they were priests, the other says they were royal advisors. Where in the world did they get that translation? Answer, they got that translation from what's called the Septuagint. Now, if you don't know, the Septuagint is not a virus. It's actually the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And so the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, reads and says, quote, David's sons were princes of the court. They were princes of the court. Now listen, that makes sense. In fact, that, 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 that rendering, they were princes of the court, that actually confirms another passage of the Bible. The sister passage, if you would, of the Bible. But remember, when, when we're interpreting Scripture, one of, the, one of the principles to keep in mind is to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And so 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 17, says this. It says, David's sons were chief officials at the king's side. And so 1 Chronicles 18 doesn't say they were priests. It says they were chief officials. And so there's all these theories. 
And so, yeah, maybe on the one hand, maybe, maybe they were allowed to serve in the temple as some sort of volunteer assistant priest. That's a theory. Then again, however, it's more likely that, 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 that their position was more of a political position. It's like they were cabinet ministers, if you would. In fact, uh, that, that passage in 1 Chronicles 18 we just read, in the New King James Version, it's translated chief ministers, not, not, not chief officials, chief ministers. You know, even in our modern day vernacular, sometimes we use the word minister, not only in a priestly context or a ministry context, but also in a political context, right? And we, we might talk about the prime minister of a country. We, we might talk about the, the minister of defense. We might talk about the minister of education. And so more than likely, that's the role that David's sons were in. We already know that Zadok and, and Abiathar, they were serving as the actual priests. They were the ones serving in the temple, in the ministry, and more than likely David's sons were serving in some sort of political context, much like a, a, a minister of education or a minister of defense or that sort of thing. But all that aside, what we know from history is that David ends up being, being recognized as the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel. And there are numerous reasons. We already mentioned that he, he expanded the boundaries of Israel to 60,000 square miles. We've mentioned in the past that, 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 that he made Jerusalem kind of the, 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 the major trade center of the whole ancient world because he built all these trade routes, all these highways that expanded all over the world. And that brought in all sorts of wealth for the nation of Israel. And as a result, he goes down in history as the greatest king they've ever had. And so in many ways in chapter 7, God promises David and says, you know what, you're not going to build me a house. In fact, I'm going to build you a house. In fact, I'm going to establish your kingdom. And then chapter 8 just chronicles and shows us how in fact God kept that promise, how God established David's kingdom. And so this morning we, we, we see that, that, that ultimately God said no to the desire of David's heart. God said no to David's plan, not, be, but not because uh, the, uh, his plan wasn't a good plan, but rather because it wasn't God's plan, at least not for David. But then God revealed to David his plan for David. And then all of a sudden we see that, that now the desire of God's heart now becomes the desire of David's heart. And, and he no longer has a vision to build a house for God. Now he has a vision to see his son build a house for God. In fact, on that note, we, we, should, we should read what it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 2 through 5, where it says, So David gave orders to call together the foreigners living in Israel and assigned them the task of preparing finished stone for building the temple of God. And David provided large amounts of iron for the nails uh, that, that would be needed for the doors of the gates and for the clamps. And he gave more bronze than could be weighed. And he also provided innumerable cedar logs for the men of Tyre and Sidon had brought vast amounts of cedar to David. And David said, My son Solomon is still young and inexperienced, and the temple to be built for the Lord must be, must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout all the world. I will begin making preparations for it now. So what's David doing? What David was doing was he was investing in someone else's dream. He was investing in, in, in someone else's vision. He's now supporting not his own dream. He's supporting Solomon's dream. He's, he's supporting God's plan for Solomon. 
And so ultimately this morning, we see that, that, that when, when God says no to your plan, it just means he has a better plan. And not only that, but we also see that, that when God allows someone else to carry out your dream, someone else to live your dream, then, then you can either respond by being bitter and, and, and being jealous, or you can respond like David and sit in the presence of the Lord and be thankful for how far he's brought you, for what he's done through you and for you. And then finally, you can embrace the desire of God's heart and adopt his vision as your vision. Adopt his dream as your dream. You know, I'm reminded that Jesus in Luke chapter 18, he was teaching a parable. And in Luke 18, 1, it says, then he spoke a parable to them that men ought to always pray and not lose heart. And sometimes we lose heart. You know, you're praying about something. You know, maybe, maybe you're praying about the desire of your heart. You have this vision, you have this dream, and, and you've been praying and praying and praying, and it still hasn't happened. It still hasn't, God hasn't responded. Nothing's happening, and you keep praying. And you're losing heart. Now, you know, it's been said that God answers prayer three different ways. He says yes, he says no, and he says wait. You know, so maybe here you are, and, 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 you know, and you've been praying. There's this desire, there's this, there's this dream that you have, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you're like, you know what? I keep praying, and God hasn't answered me. You know, you know what? Maybe he did. Maybe he said no. You know, no is an answer, right? At least that's what we tell our kids. Maybe he said no. You know what? Maybe your plan... Maybe it's not a bad plan. Maybe it's a good plan, but it's not God's plan for you. And so maybe he said no to you. Yeah, I'm reminded of Ruth Belgram, the wife of the, the famous Billy Graham. And Ruth, Ruth Graham once said, thank God he didn't answer all my prayers or I would have been married to the wrong man 20 times over. Sometimes his no is the best thing you can hear. Sometimes the answer no is the best thing that you can hear. Or maybe he said, wait. Maybe, maybe that dream that you have, maybe that desire in your heart, maybe that is from the Lord. Maybe that is from God. But you know what? Maybe it's just not the right timing. Maybe you're not ready. Or for that matter, maybe the other people that are involved in this, maybe they're not ready. Maybe it's not the right timing. So you know what? Keep praying and don't lose heart. Pray and pray and pray, but don't lose heart because you know what? Not only is his will good, his timing is even better. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3.11 reminds us he's made everything beautiful in its time. And so may his will be done and may it come in his timing because his timing is beautiful. Amen? So Father, we thank you. We thank you for the reminder of your word this morning. You're a God who speaks to his people. We don't always hear what we want to hear, but we pray that we would hear what you have for us to hear. We don't pray my will be done, but we pray thy will be done. So we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who speaks, a God who leads, and a God who directs. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.